founder of North and South Magazine, Keith Poulter, joins us today in Civil War Talk Radio to talk more about his future projects when we return in a moment. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpets cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Keith Poulter, the founding editor and publisher of North and South Magazine, uh, in many eyes the premier magazine dealing with the Civil War uh, published today. Keith, we uh, talked in the first session a bit about your background. As you pointed out, you were born in London. Your accent suggests to our listeners you are uh, not a native United States citizen. Which side are you for in the war? Uh, in a moment, ask me about citizenship. <laughs> a story, I'll tell you. But let me ask, uh, answer that question first of all. Um, I was asked that at a Civil War roundtable meeting once where I, I was speaking, and I gave a very diplomatic reply talking about how there were good people on both sides and and, and loyal to their state and their motivation was similar and so on and so forth. And then I thought, what a wimp. (laughs) And I said, I'd have donned a blue uniform on day one. (laughs) And um, one fellow made a a grimace and uh, muttered something to his neighbor about not subscribing to that magazine. Um, As a matter of fact, he did become a subscriber eventually, which was good. But... um, Yes, I, I like to think I would have um, fought for the Union. The, uh, you print in your letters to the editor column, uh, in most issues, at least one uh, letter like that person with the grimace pointing out that this 
this Yankee nonsense has gone far enough and I'm dropping my subscription. But often, often, often I'm sorry, you couple it with a uh, another letter that says, uh, uh, this is enough of the Southern sympathy, the Lee worship, the, the Jackson promotion. I'm yeah. canceling my subscription. Uh-huh. Do, do you get a good balance of people who don't like you on either side? Yes. And I, I suspect that means we're probably doing quite well in terms of preserving a a balance uh, and endeavouring as far as possible to be um, to be fair, and, and certainly part of our philosophy is to present a multiplicity of perspectives. I mean, we, we've we've had articles on uh, uh, why there was not a right of secession, for example, followed by an article uh, as to why there was a right of secession. So, you know, we we like to explore those things in a, in a balanced way. And that is a particular challenge because these are issues that are not just dry historical debates, but they have modern political repercussions and they evoke strong feelings among a lot of people. I've had two death threats since uh, launching North and South. Indeed. Uh, I've had four during my life. I I, I sort of feel if you haven't had one or two, you probably haven't left any tracks anywhere. But um, two... (laughs) Come back in our third segment when I say something so outrageous (laughs) that Civil War Talk Radio begins to receive death threats. Ah, Thank goodness it hasn't happened. Yes, I had one from South Carolina. That was because we had published an article by Jim McPherson on the causes of the Civil War. Uh, where naturally he he talked uh, a great length about the slavery issue. Um, and we might get to that in a bit too. Um, and then another one was from Texas, and I, I must admit I don't remember the particular thing that, that set that gentleman off. But uh, yeah, one one wrote a letter, and the, the woman from South Carolina telephoned, and uh, hmm. my God, was she abusive? Interesting. Well, that people. It, 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 I suppose, it keeps us all in business in a sense that there is such passion about the war, uh, about this moment in American history. But it is unfortunate when people lose perspective and, and uh, are unable to separate the 1860s and the, the 21st century. Right. One of one of the things which I know we've had some uh, influence with uh, is the question of what was the cause of the war. And I think I, I, I know, in fact, from correspondence from people that we've we've actually shifted at least some opinion um, by sorting out the meaning of the word cause. Um, there is what were the events which precipitated secession uh, and and the war. Uh, there was what what were the causes which caused the which caused the leaders. To uh, I'm particularly thinking about the southern leaders to um, secede, uh, and then there were the motivation of the soldiers on each side, and all those things are somewhat different. Um, in fact, we, we have an article coming up in the next issue of um, North and South. It's a special Gettysburg issue, um, and John uh, Latchar, the superintendent of the Gettysburg National Military Park has a very interesting article in there with, with maps and so forth as to what the plans are for the park, how they're changing the park considerably in, in the next 10 years or so. And he, he makes the point that um, he volunteered for Vietnam when he was 22. And he says he, he hopes that that doesn't mean that future historians will presume, presume that he believed in the domino theory or that he was prepared to give his life to save the world from from communist domination I mean he said as a young man he had four choices um, 
he, he could um, be drafted, he could volunteer, he could go to jail, or he could leave America. And, and he took, simply took the choice that he thought was best for himself and his family. So he volunteered and off he went. But, you know, that, that doesn't imply necessarily um, an acceptance of ideology as, as believed by, by senior people. Same thing with the Civil War. Not all Confederate soldiers fought to preserve slavery by any means. Well, that's a very, very interesting analogy there. And what's the number of that issue that's upcoming for our guests who are listening uh, by archives many months from, from this day? Volume so they, 8, Volume 8, Number 4. Volume 8, Number 4, the Gettysburg Special Issue. Yeah, that sounds like and it will be, be out, in, um, out in June. June 2005, definitely. Yeah. I, you, in terms of discussing the cause of the war, you published, uh, I think in 2004, an article, I want to say it was by Chandra Manning, does that sound right? Yes. Uh, on what the war was over, as I believe it was called, which I thought was a, a really well-done, succinct exposition of the causes of the war that avoided the, the moralism that often gets people, gets their backs up when discussing what caused the war, that talked about how slavery can be a fundamental cause of the war without necessarily putting it in a north good, south bad framework. Right. And that kind of work was much more sophisticated than you'd find in, in the popular press, but was not buried in a private, in an academic journal. It got read by, by all your readers. I, I was delighted to see it. I would uh, love it if it could have been printed on paper, not quite so dark, because I can't Xerox it for my students. I'll have to ask you offline to send me a copy I can use in the classroom. I think it's an excellent article. Well, that, that's how cunning. We'll have to send you a whole batch of back issues that you pay for. That, that, that's right. That's the, the secret there. That will work. Um, are there any particular articles that stand out over the years that you you, you think of as really uh, seminal, really important, or particular authors who've, who've made the magazine work? Oh, Lord. Um, this is like being asked when I was producing board games and, and designing board games. Somebody would come along months or years later and ask why the game was designed in a certain way. And, of course, you <laughs> no longer remember. Uh, <laughs> um, let me think. Um, Dew, D-E-W, I can't remember his first name now, um, an article on the secession commissioners. Char Charles Dew? Charles Dew, yes. I thought that was an outstanding article. It was something that virtually nobody, I think, uh, knew about outside of a very, very few academics. I mean, I certainly had never heard of the secession commissioners. Um, but to... Uh, to um, examine what those commissioners who were sent from certain deep south states into other slave states uh, to try and persuade them that uh, they, they should join the secession bandwagon um, to read their speeches was illuminating uh, and of course they were they were all talking about slavery um, some people consider that almost the smoking gun of the the, the tariff slavery argument uh, that, that these commissioners went from state to state, and they never mentioned states' rights, and they never mentioned the tariff. All they talked about was, was racial hierarchy and slavery, right? And, and as, as the motive for secession. If you look at the secession ordinance of Mississippi, for example, um, and the, the same is true of most of the others, um, there are, again from memory, 17 clauses. The first clause simply says, "We are." going to secede from the United States uh, and the following are our reasons 
And the, the very last clause sums it up. It says, you know, the, so these then are the reasons why we believe in uh, Mississippi should secede. The 15 clauses in between are all about slavery, every single one, mm-hmm. and nothing about tariffs or, or, uh, or states' rights. Um, yeah, I think it, 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 it's very clear that... Um, it, it, well, it seemed clear to the people in 1860 what they were doing. I'm sorry, say again? It, it, it seemed clear in 1860 to the people who were advocating for secession, it seemed clear to them why they were doing it. Uh, but it is today that we find an argument being launched over why they were doing it. Right. Uh, a lot of um, advocates of, of um, modern advocates, if you like, of the Confederacy are, are mean out. I mean, they they uh, they don't like to consider that slavery was a motivator. But at the time, uh, their ancestors were certainly not mean out. They were very, very clear as to what they were seceding about. Now, which is not to say that once a state seceded and w- the war had begun, that's not to say that all the Southerners who flocked to the Confederate Army were doing so to preserve slavery. Uh, in an objective sense, they were, in, in that a Confederate victory would have perpetuated slavery. Mm. But in, in terms of their motivation, it was us versus them, it was local patriotism, the motivation of someone from, say, Alabama and somebody from uh, Minnesota uh, could well have been identical. It, it, exactly, as you point out with the, the Vietnam analogy. Well, let me ask you the question that, that uh, we certainly need to come to. Uh, why did you uh, step down from the editorship at North and South? Ah, um, I just launched a new magazine called Military Chronicles, and uh, much of my time has got to be devoted to that, uh, and therefore I handed the editorship of North and South over to Terry Johnston, who has done an outstanding job as deputy editor, um, and is now doing an outstanding job as editor. Uh, he um, he and I ed- continue to edit every word in the magazine, but he takes the initiative in terms of um, uh, seeking articles or relating to, to authors, um, looking for illustrations, and, and so forth. Um, Military Chronicles is intended to be much the same kind of hybrid uh, publication as North and South, somewhere between a journal and and a popular um, publication. It's uh, uh, we, we say it covers military history from the Bible to tomorrow. Um, the first first issue is out; came out a couple of weeks ago. It's just now hitting the stores. It has articles on. Uh, was there was there a grand strategy of the Roman Empire? It has an article by um, General Patton, George S. Patton, Second World War, uh, which he wrote when he was a major back in the 1930s, which is fascinating and extremely amusing. Um, there's an article on the Normandy campaign. There's one on Stephen Decatur, and and so on and so forth. So it it really is intended to give people a. Uh, uh, a very broad view of military history, and and hopefully, uh, if you have the same kind of writers, uh, uh, people who who have reputations in the field or who are quickly earning them, uh, as you have for North and South, that that ought to be successful. Yes, and that's what we're doing. Um, I must admit, I don't understand the formula adopted by the other popular magazines. In many cases, I'm thinking particularly of the 
Civil War ones here, uh, although somewhat the same is true of, of general military history, um, where very often the articles are written by amateurs. Um, they're written by professional writers, perhaps, but that professional writer will be uh, doing an article on Lee at Gettysburg one week and on Cajun cooking the next. In other words, they're, they're, they're a professional writer, but they're not a specialist on the Civil War. Um, and I, I just don't understand that. Um, if you want an, a, a, a magazine on the Civil War, go to the experts. Um, now, with, with North and South, the first few issues uh, tended to reflect books that had recently been written. And we contacted the authors. We knew about those books. We contacted the authors, and they wrote um, articles for us. And then, as we gradually uh, deepened our contacts with the academic world, we were able to get authors to write articles based on ongoing research, mm -hmm. which would not appear for another couple of years in a book, perhaps. And the same evolution, uh, hopefully, will take place with military chronicles. The first issue tends to reflect recent work um, by by the time we get to issue three or four we hope it will reflect ongoing research that won't appear in book form for for a while that's right the uh, well charles dude's article you mentioned on the confederate commissioners uh is also the subject of a book he wrote on the same subject but your article would have reached a much broader audience more quickly and perhaps inspired people than to read the book uh, that, that it is connected with yes he was also uh um Jealous of the fact that we, had, I think there were, I think there were 48 um, secession commissioners from the various states, and I think we actually found photographs, or in one case a portrait of, um, I think 25 of them, 28 of them, something like that. Um, and of course, his book did not include, uh, I don't think it included any illustrations. So that, that's one thing that authors are very happy with when when an article appears in North and South, but we're able to illustrate an article in a way that most book publishers cannot. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of colored, uh, complex colored maps, for example, and the, the um, economics of book publishing just doesn't allow, mm -hmm. in most cases, a, a colored maps to, to be included. No, and, and those maps and illustrations really do, do add uh, to the accessibility and, and uh appeal of the magazine. There's certainly a strong part of it. Right, and David Fuller, who does the maps for North and South, is the art director for Military Chronicles. He's doing the entire graphics for that magazine, and uh, all I can suggest is if people are interested in military history, go into their local Barnes & Noble or Borders or wherever and look at the first issue because the, the graphics are, are quite something. Well, I, I will certainly head over and check out Military Chronicles. And we can all do that. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back in just a moment with more with Keith Poulter on Civil War Talk Radio.